Welcome to Mind Reading's Experts in Conversation podcast series. This project explores the patient experience through the prism of literature and personal narrative to inform self-care, patient-centred care and practice. It's animated by the question of whether doctors and patients speak the same language and how we can use narrative to bridge the evident gaps. Mind Reading began as a collaboration between UCD Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the Diseases of Modern Life Project and the University of Birmingham, and has since expanded to include colleagues across the UK and Ireland, including UCD School of English Drama and Film. Our intended activities comprise a series of explorations around the central theme of literature and mental health and function as independent events, but are brought together by their intent to explore the best ways of drawing on the insights of historical and literary research in contemporary medical practice, especially in the field of mental health. So this series brings together some of the key themes of the 2020 conference, which we had to postpone, and is brought to you by the Humanities Institute at UCD and RCPI Archives. Today's episode is entitled Written on the Body, Eating Disorders and Narrative. My name is Dr. Claire Hayes-Brady of the School of English Drama and Film at UCD. So next on Written on the Body, Eating Disorders and Narrative, I'm joined by Emily Trashanko, a writer, researcher, blogger and recovery coach with particular interests in eating disorders, consciousness and the psychological effects of reading narrative. She also runs a writing program for humanities graduates and postdocs at Oxford University. We're delighted to have Emily with us today. Um, Emily, welcome. Thank you very much, Claire. It's lovely to be here. To start with a little bit of background to my current interest in the intersection of eating disorders and reading of literature, narrative, fiction, I'm, I'm good with all those terms. I studied French and German at undergrad, then went on to a, a PhD in German literature, focusing on Kafka. And quite soon in the, well, actually before I even started the PhD, although after I'd got funding to do a completely different project, I realised that the cognitive questions were really the most interesting ones to me, um, specifically a kind of general but very to me, intriguing question, what makes Kafka's writing so weird and wonderful? That is a cognitive question in the sense that it's a question about, about effects, about responses, about you know what Kafka's writing makes people feel. And I ended up investigating that primarily with respect to mental imagery and emotional responses and constructed a kind of theoretical framework based around the concept of um, what I call cognitive realism. So basically the, the alignment or not between cognition as it's represented in texts and as it actually operates in the reader's minds. And that gives you a quite straightforward way of connecting what we know about human minds and bodies with uh, analysis of textual features. So I was able to answer, at least to my partial satisfaction, that question about um, you know, what makes Kafka's writing great. In the meantime, I was finally getting on with recovering from anorexia. And towards the end of my recovery, or at least towards the end of the weight gain phase of it, uh, I started writing a, a blog for the US website, Psychology Today. Um, like many eating disorder blogs, it, it started off as pretty much, you know, just charting my personal experience of, of illness and recovery, but gradually started to incorporate more, more triangulation between the personal experience and uh, what I was starting to learn about the science of eating disorders. And then increasingly, as it became more popular and readers would respond to things, also adding in those second person perspectives, if you like. And I gradually realised that even though I was still cramming it into weekends and, and evenings, it was amongst the most important things that I was doing. And also it had obvious links to my research. That should have probably been obvious from the fact that I called the blog A Hunger Artist, which is a title borrowed from uh, one of Kafka's stories, a story about a man who fasts for other people's entertainment. But somehow it never quite occurred to me to join the dots 
properly in terms of my research practice. Once it did occur to me, I then uh, wrote a theoretical paper, which was again Kafka focused, looking at that particular story, starting to map out how that existing framework of cognitive realism could be used to think about um, how illness and health uh, interact with uh, the reading process, with identifiable features of text. In part, I suppose, what I was really trying to do at that point was, was make sense of how I could systematically engage with these questions as a researcher who, to be honest, was only doing this stuff because of my own personal history and, and investments in it. So, you know, how to how to navigate those uh, those personal intellectual commitments and put them in a meaningful way into the into the research practice was kind of tricky, but interesting. So that started to bring my research, I guess, somewhere into the middle ground between cognitive literary studies and the medical or health humanities. And then having written that that sort of first theoretical intervention, it seemed important, as with all the Kafka work that I'd done already, and not to stop at the theorising stage, but to try and find some stuff out empirically. And that includes not stopping with my own experience and I would say, you know, sort of nuancing some of the points that Harriet was making, you know, acknowledging that yes, there's always individual variation, but but all that sits on a on a foundation of stuff that can actually be generalised about. Um, and I would say that epistemic progress tends to depend on acknowledging both of those uh, of those factors. So I set up a partnership with Beat, the UK eating disorders charity. We designed a survey to ask people various things about the connections between their reading habits and their mental health with a focus on eating disorders um, and because of where we advertise the vast majority of people um, did have personal experience either present or past of an eating disorder of one kind or another. I was absolutely amazed by how many responses we got. I was expecting like uh, a couple of hundred at most. Um, it was quite a long involved survey. Uh, in the end, we had nearly 900 people take the survey, which I think in itself speaks to the fact that people find this kind of thing interesting and important. And a lot of them took took a lot of time, clearly, to to elaborate on the reasons for their forced choice answers in the in the free response uh, boxes. So we had yeah, a huge sample size and also uh, a really clear and to me quite unexpected finding that came out. So one of the main sequences of questions was comparing responses to the kind of fiction that you most like to read. So give them a choice of genres, everything from erotic to literary fiction, whatever. And then eating disorder fiction, on the other hand. So uh, fiction, which people also were clearly interpreting as in including memoir that includes, that features a, a protagonist, for example, who has an eating disorder or where eating disorders are stigmatized in some, some other way. So yeah, we asked people a series of questions about how uh, reading these two types of texts uh, tended to affect them on four main dimensions, mood, self-esteem, how you feel about your body and your diet and exercise habits. And really almost universally and often quite uh, strongly in terms of reported kind of effect size. People reported that reading stuff about eating disorders made them uh, worse um, on all those dimensions, um, as I say, with moderate to severe uh, negative effects reported. Uh, whereas for eating, uh, for fiction about entirely other things, uh, the picture was much more neutral with particularly for the mood dimension a much more positive picture emerging. So as I say, I was I was really surprised by that because I guess I had sort of swallowed the easy line that, well, reading about stuff that's similar to a problem that you're going through should help you get through it. And that may in some cases be true. Of course, this is also only self-report data. And in, in quite a few cases, it was clear that people were 
referring back to reading experiences that were quite some time in the past, sometimes years ago. So, you know, those are all the caveats of, of self-report research, of course. But it was it was nonetheless a really clear picture that if you if you don't want to subject yourself to the risk of, of, of those negative effects, then just stay clear of stuff that deals with eating disorders. Um, and this this directly contradicts the main existing theory of creative bibliotherapy, which is basically um, founded on that similarity principle that, you know, you find someone doing the same thing. You have the both the learning experience borrowed from them and also the cathartic effect of, you know, going through the, the journey that they go through. So, so yeah, that was uh, the main finding from, from that study. Two other factors that I would like to draw out. One, the I think we had about a dozen people or so um, spontaneously mention that they would often seek out such books deliberately to make themselves worse, you know, for the purposes of self-triggering, which it never occurred, occurred to me that people would do, but kind of makes sense once you think about it, given the other, other ways in which people seek out that type of effect. Also, more more generally, I would say it was just really striking throughout so many of the, the the free response elaborations, just how strong the interpretive filter is that an eating disorder uh, imposes on. Well, we know it, it imposes it on, on the entire world, so it shouldn't be a surprise. But just to hear people talk so explicitly about the way in which the eating disorder just filters out everything that doesn't fit with that mindset just you know enhances the stuff that does fit gets rid of everything else you know over and over people reporting that yeah sure there was discussion in the books about how you know how this wrecked relationships how unpleasant it was in some ways how people died as a result but oh no all the eating disorder really focuses on and zooms in and on is you know the power the the purity the specialness the control all those great things that uh, that uh, are validated in the kind of eating disorder mythology. So, so yeah, that interpretive filter and how universally strong it was was uh, a really interesting thing to to learn more about. So that was the the first bit of empirical work that I've done. Um, and the other I'd like to tell you a little bit about was a few years later in collaboration with a Spanish PhD student, Rocío Riestra Camacho. She had a really cool idea to use the genre, which I'd never even heard of before, called young adult sports fiction. One of the books that we used, for example, the, the young female protagonist had a boyfriend who um, was planning to run a marathon. Then he died and she decided that she would run the marathon in his memory. So this type of thing, you can I, th I think it's a really clever choice for an exploration of sort of eating disorder related stuff um, when it comes to reading, because clearly body food exercise stuff is thematized, but it's also not in that pathological realm that uh, an eating disorder memoir or something might be. So she had participants who were a non-clinical population read two novels, by, both by Miranda Keneally, and one, the experimental group was given the novels together with a specially constructed reading guide in the form of little pop-ups in the margins, uh, which were intended to direct readers' attention towards aspects of the books that could be, um, if you like, prophylactic or positively, you know, draw out the positives in terms of the, uh, the readers' engagements with body and food and stuff, like point out when the protagonist says no get your own fries when her boyfriend says do you want to share some because you know helps go against the, the gendered sense that uh, women should only share other people's food or whatever so bringing out those little things and then the control group just read the text as published 
the, the only significant difference between groups that she found was in terms of not the standardized questionnaire scores, which uh, were, so the, the questionnaire that we used was the EAT26, which uh, measures vulnerability to eating disorders, but on the specially constructed uh, questionnaire that she'd created uh, to align with the, the reading guide pop-ups, she found a, a significant difference in um, amount of espousal of uh, gender stereotypes when it comes to body-related matters with improvement in the experimental group and not in the, in the control group. So that's kind of a nice finding. Also, trend-level suggestions that there might be going, something going on in, in the direction of uh, improvement in the experimental conditions, so with reading guide, and also not just, as she hypothesized, kind of flatlining in the control group, so no effect, but actually in the direction of worsening with, when you don't have the, the reading guide as a support. So even in that case with non-clinical population and not a book about eating disorders, you know, the, the potential for damaging things to, to be happening is, is suggested there. She also interviewed the participants after their reading experience and around half of the people that she interviewed mentioned that the texts reading the novels had prompted them to, to exercise or to consider, seriously consider doing so, which was not something that we were aiming to achieve, but was kind of interesting finding. Um, another thing that was more sort of obviously positive is that some participants only in the experimental group again reported that they'd got a more uh, relaxed attitude towards eating and exercising than they'd had previously which was one of the aims of the reading guides um, and as I say that didn't happen in the control group so again really gives gives more uh, weight to this idea that that guiding the interpretive process in the ways that you want it to go is uh, it really matters when you're talking about engagement with complex text and materials like this. And finally, we've, we've got the start of, you know, some bits of empirical evidence that suggests measurable, tangible stuff is coming up here. Um, I've just got ethics clearance now to start a, a third study, which will be investigating a book which I myself have written about anorexia and recovery. My aim has been to forestall as strongly as possible all the damaging things that people might want to do with this book. And the point is pre-publication to see whether I've been successful in this. I have given myself a, a, a quantitative threshold below which, as one of the ethics reviewers put it, is going to be binned. But I'm hoping that that won't happen and there'll be some, you know, grey area where maybe some edits are required, but it can uh, still go out into the world, not just as yet another memoir that actually no one needs and that was written for purposes that were not clear and is quite likely to do more harm than good. But that's the kind of the last thing that I want to, to, to be generating. Um, but yes, this will be compared against a control text, actually a book written by my mother, uh, which is structurally similar in some ways, but has nothing to do with eating disorders. Um, and this will be with uh, people currently self-reporting as uh, suffering from a restrictive eating disorder. So yeah, more scope for actually finding some stuff out, I hope. I'd be happy to talk more about existing research around all these areas, um, also about cognitive realism and what I think about how reading fits into, you know, the, what should be the main focus of eating disorder treatment and prevention, because I don't think reading is really at the centre. But yeah, we can come on to that in the Q&A.